If you've got your Bible with you, go with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, but you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles in the chair racks there in front of you. You can grab one of those, and if you're not familiar with where to find things in the Bible, Genesis happens to be the very first book in the Bible, and so if you start there at the beginning, you should find your way to uh, chapter 37 fairly quickly. Most of you have, uh, most of us have probably either in school had to read The Count of Monte Cristo, or maybe you've at least watched the movie. I think there are several different versions of the movie, The Count of Monte Cristo. But the main character in that movie, his name is Edmund Dantes, and Edmund Dantes has, seems to have everything in life going his way. He is, uh, he has a great future ahead of him. He's going to be a ship's captain, and he's just a little bit away from being able to have his own ship that he can pilot with his own crew. He is also engaged to be married to a beautiful woman in the very near future, and he has a life that is full of friendships. In fact, he has three very good friends in particular uh, that, that he shares his life with. But... Those very friends that are some of his best friends become jealous of him. And because they are jealous of him, they concoct a plan together. One of them is envious of Dante's career. The other one wants to marry the woman that he's engaged to be married to. And the, uh, and the third is just jealous of his prospects in life. And so they decide to compose a letter together that is going to accuse him of treason. And they decide to have those charges brought against him the day he is supposed to be married to the woman that he is engaged to. He's sentenced to life in prison for his supposed treason, and he loses everything. He loses, of course, his friends. He loses his future wife. He loses his position as a ship's captain. Of all the things that can happen to us in life, I think betrayal is one of the worst. It's one of the things that I believe hurts us the most. And I think it hurts us the most because Betrayal often happens at the hands of somebody close to us, someone that you know, someone that you trust, someone that you love or you think loves you. Betrayal, most of the time, is hurts so much because it is intensely personal And because it comes as such a surprise, otherwise it would not be a betrayal if you could see it coming. Well, like Edmund Dantes, Joseph, the man in the story that we're going to be looking at this morning and through the rest of the book of Genesis, is going to experience a betrayal that drastically alters the course of his life. And the story with him begins in Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 12, if you're there. 
In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 12, the Bible says this, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock. Bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. The Bible goes on to say that Joseph is looking for his brothers in this area. He's not able to find them anywhere, and so he runs into a man who tells them that they have actually moved the flocks onward to a place called Dothan, and so he sets out for Dothan. We'll pick up our reading then in verse 18. It says, speaking of his brothers, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Okay, so his brothers see him coming from a distance. And remember, from last week, if you were with us, his brothers have beef with him. And the reason his brothers have beef with him is because Joseph is having these dreams. And these dreams are annoying. These dreams depict Joseph and his uh, standing in the center with his his father and his mother and his siblings bowing down to him. And Joseph's dreams, as we'll see, are depicting a a real destiny for him. That is indeed what is going to happen. But Joseph recounts these dreams to his family, and of course they are jealous of him. And the Bible says in the passage of Scripture that we looked at last week, the first few verses of Genesis 37, it tells us, three times that they hated him. They could not stand him. And so, when they see him coming from a distance, they make the obvious choice that we do with people that we hate. They decide they're going to kill him. Now, the first plan that they concoct is to throw his body, is to, to throw his body into a pit and say that a wild animal uh, has, has killed him, kill him first. But Reuben, who's the oldest... For whatever reason, we don't know why, but he wants to stick up for him a little bit, and uh, he wants to come back maybe and rescue him later. And so, so Reuben says, let's not kill him and throw him into the pit. Let's just throw him into a pit. Reuben doesn't have the courage to be the leader to take and take a stand here, but he doesn't want Joseph to die either. So look at, now at verse 23. It says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. So the first thing that they do to him when he arrives is they they strip him of this 
many-colored robe that he was wearing. And if you were with us last week, I know I have to keep referring back to it, but Joseph has, uh, Joseph has been given a garment by his father that is a sign of his father's favor. And of course, this is a, yet another reason why his brothers hate him and are jealous of him. And remember, this is, this is something that, that, uh, that uh, maybe a generational problem here among the patriarchs is showing favoritism among their children. And, and Jacob makes the same mistake. He has a favorite. His youngest son, the one who is the, uh, the, the son of his favorite wife, and so he gives him this garment that is symbolic of his father's favor. And so when they see him coming wearing them, that's a, that's a mark of something that they hate in him and hate about him. And so they, they strip him of this robe, they throw him into this pit, and then the text kind of shows us how calloused they are about it. And remember, this is a group of guys who have just killed all the men and the, and the whole city of Shechem. Uh, so so these, are, these are men who have some violent tendencies. But they throw him in this pit, and to show how calloused they are, they immediately sit down to dinner. Because throwing your brother into a pit makes you work up an appetite, apparently. But you can, you can see them there. Eating, while he's here in the pit, calling out to them, crying out for help. And while they're enjoying dinner together, they get yet another idea. Look with me at verse 25. It says, And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And all of a sudden, we're noble here. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So they see some Ishmaelite traders coming. You can see, uh, you can imagine as they're kind of out here in the desert, you can see this band of traders coming through, and there's two interchangeable words used for them. They're referred to as Ishmaelites and Midianites, and we can see from the Gideon story that the Bible also uses those two, two, uh, two terms interchangeably there as well as referring to the same group of traders that are coming through. Judah is the fourth brother, and Judah has an idea during dinner that, that if they just kill Joseph or if they just leave him to be killed by the elements or something else, there's no profit in that for them. We can have the best of both worlds. We can see to it that we are rid of our brother and we can make a little bit of money as well. And so as this Midianite group of traders passes by, they decide to sell their brother for 20 shekels of silver. But from the next few verses, it seems that at least not all of the brothers were, were privy to this decision that was made to sell them into slavery, because look with me at verse 29. In verse 29, it says, when Reuben returned to the pit 
and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, and they slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. So the boys deceive their father. They take the robe. They dip it in goat's blood. There's, there's no DNA testing to find out whether this is human blood or animal blood in that day, or if it is human blood, what human that blood belongs to. And so they lead their father along to the obvious conclusion that his favored son has met an untimely end. And what we see as, again, a pattern of generational sins throughout, this, throughout Genesis is deception. Jacob, whose name had meant deceiver, has been a deceiver his whole life, and we now see that pattern of deception taking place among his sons. The deceiver is now the deceived. And that caravan is traveling on to Egypt. Look at verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes here for a moment. The youngest of the brothers, still a very young man that what we've just seen uh, in the previous section is that he's 17 years old. He's gone to check on the welfare of his brothers and their flocks on behalf of his father. And when he meets his brothers, he is sold into slavery. I mean, imagine, imagine what that transaction looks like. Imagine his pleas to his brothers for help. Imagine him begging them not to go through with this, to tell them that there's still time to reverse this decision. And imagine looking into the eyes of your brothers and seeing them put you into the hands of these traitors and imagine him being bound in some way and locked up in some way and be taken to a place where you don't even know where you're going. And then imagine taking, being taken to a market where you are sold alongside balsam wood to the highest bidder. And imagine being, being taken home to Potiphar's household and not even being able at the beginning perhaps to understand the language that the people around you are speaking. You are a young man in unfamiliar, in unfamiliar surroundings, unable to communicate, and you are now the property of someone else. I mean, you want to talk about betrayal. This is betrayal of the highest order. This is a twist of the knife by his brothers towards him. But decades later, Joseph, 
is going to be reunited with these brothers. The brothers who have turned a deaf ear to his pleas for help. And in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he's going to say these words. Words that we read last week. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. Can you imagine saying that? It's difficult for me. I can only imagine having plenty of years to plot what I might do in a situation like this. But Joseph says, you meant evil for me, but God meant it for good. And if you were with us last week, I said that that this it in God meant it for good is a little tiny word that encompasses a large number of very difficult circumstances. And I said that as we are going to make, we went all the way to the end of Genesis so that we could have that in mind when we went back through and looked through the life, life of Joseph and asked ourselves the specific question, what is the it in Joseph's life that God meant for good? Because it's not just one thing or two things, and it's not for a short amount of time. It's, it's, it's difficulty after difficulty after trial after trial for decades. Joseph's it that God meant for good is, is filled with pain. And I said we were going to walk back through the story then, thinking of it that way, and ask the question again and again, what is the it referring to? And of course, this morning, the it includes betrayal, which is why this morning I want us to think about this truth, and God uses betrayal for good. God uses betrayal for good. This is where the life path of Edmund Dantes and Joseph diverge. You see, Edmund Dantes is sent on this path of revenge once he's thrown into prison. If you've read the book or seen the movie, which probably many of you have, but as a little refresher, he, he meets a man in prison, while, and while he's there, this man educates him in religion and philosophy and in all sorts of things. And not only does this man educate him, but this man also tells him the location, the secret location of a buried treasure so that if Dantes is ever able to escape prison, he can go to the island, get the treasure, and live out his life in, in luxury. And sure enough, through a course of events that we won't take the time to to, to work through right now, Dantes does in fact escape prison. He does in fact get to go to this island, Monte Cristo, where he is able to get all this treasure, and he becomes overnight a wealthy man. And what does he choose to do with his wealth when he becomes a wealthy man? Well, the rest of the story is how Dantes revisits each one of those backstabbing, betraying friends and slowly but surely destroys each one of them. 
And let me tell you, it is delicious. We love it. Because he doesn't just show up and say, hey, I'm back and I'm going to get you. He does it in the most underhanded way. The desire for revenge consumes the entirety of his life. And I don't know, I don't know about you, maybe I'm just revealing my own self up here, but, but I like stories like that. Because I like to see people get what's coming to them. I think if the revenue from the John Wick movies is any indication, other people do as well. We love revenge. But I told you that Joseph and Dantes, their stories are on similar tracks of betrayal. But it's what they do in the wake of betrayal that is where their stories diverge. We'll explore more about how Joseph's story diverges in the, in the coming weeks. But he models for us what the Bible teaches us when it comes to revenge. The Bible calls us, brothers and sisters, to a different way. The Bible says something profoundly difficult for those of us who have been betrayed in some way in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. The Bible says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And it gets worse, guys. (laughs) To the contrary, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil good. I'm not a huge fan of those verses. But the Bible tells us that that when we experience betrayal, while there are certainly paths of justice that we can and should, as the Bible tells us, pursue, the Bible tells us to to leave off a, a vengeance, to not avenge ourselves, but to leave it to the wrath of God. And the reason is that that is the case is given for us in verse 21, which we read. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we have a desire for our vengeance to consume others, The Lord knows that what ultimately will happen 
is that that vengeance will consume us. And John Wick won't show you that. The Count of Monte Cristo won't show you that. But our hearts cannot bear the weight of vengeance. They are consumed by it, and we become overcome by evil. Now, as I've pointed out to you now, and as many as you know who are familiar with the biblical story, Joseph is going to have an opportunity to take his revenge. And he doesn't take it. There's a sense in which he is choosing the path of Jesus before Jesus walks the path. But there are no doubt people here this morning and you have been hurt by betrayal in some way. Some of those betrayals are on the smaller side of things. But when somebody betrays you, it hurts, doesn't it? And there's something that often ignites in us. I don't get mad. I get even. There are others in us who have experienced betrayal in larger ways. That spouse who betrays you deeply. That child that you've poured out everything for that turns around in your own estimation, stabs you in the back. I could list example after example, but I bet if there, is some, if there has been some betrayal that has taken place in your life, you're already thinking of it. And if you're like me, and again, hopefully I'm not being too open here, we fantasize about all the things that we would say and do. I mean, I have found myself having hours-long conversations. I'll tell them this and this, and I'll show them this and this. And then you kind of, you're driving, and you're like, oh, I'm on 295. Where am I going? If you've experienced the hurt of betrayal, some of us, those wounds are very fresh right now then you know what I'm talking about. And I bet you can already sense that there is a battle in your heart of whether you are going to be overcome with evil, whether you are going to give in to the bitterness, whether you are going to give in to the hatred, whether you are going to let the, the, the desire for vengeance consume you, or whether you are going to choose a different path. The way of Jesus. The way of good. How does the gospel help us? How does the good news of what Jesus has done in his death, burial, and resurrection, dying in the place of sinners for our sin, so that we can escape the wrath of God, be forgiven of our sins, be raised to live in newness of life, have a, 
a great future ahead of us because of all that Christ has planned for us? How does the gospel help us let go of our need for vengeance so that we are not overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good? Let me make two suggestions. We're going to have to believe two gospel truths. The first is that God will repay. One of the reasons that we don't want to let go of our need for vengeance, we don't want to let go of our need to, 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 to get someone back or to make sure that they experience their comeuppance is that if I don't do it, who will? And not only do I want to do it, and not only do I want to, I want to make sure it's done right. I don't want any half measures on this, on this revenge thing. What, what's been done to me, I want done at least equally, if not more. And we're not sure if God's going to do it the way we want it. The Bible assures us that God can handle the betrayals that have been done to us. If that person is a believer in Jesus Christ that has betrayed you, this is difficult. But I want us to think about if we need to exact our pound of flesh for them, what we are really saying is that what Jesus Christ experienced on the cross on their place was not enough. Jesus died for you, but you need a little bit more. And I'm going to meet it out. And of course, of course, the alternative is that for people outside of Christ, they have an eternity of God's wrath to face. You and I have hearts that are too easily twisted. And so by, the Bible tells us that no matter what has been done to us, we can let go of our need to get even, and we can leave that in God's hands. And I'm telling you this morning, you can leave it in His hands. You can take that hurt and that anger for that betrayal, and you can give it to Him. And let Him handle it for you. There's a second truth that you're going to have to believe if you are going to let go of the need for revenge so that you are not overcome by evil. And that's this. You're going to have to believe that no matter what is done to you, God is going to force it to come out for good. One of the reasons that we're not able to let go of our need for revenge is because someone has taken something from us. And sometimes that thing that is taken from us is something that we can't get back. I mean, look at Joseph. 
we, get, we, lo- we love the end of the story where Joseph is, is now risen to one of the places of highest power in the entire world. Yet, Joseph had many things taken from him that couldn't be recovered. It's not like, it's not like Joseph rose to power in Egypt and was like, well, this makes everything better. I don't care that I was sold into slavery or that I was all these terrible things that I had the rest of my childhood taken from me or all my family relationships from me. This makes everything better. It doesn't work like that. Sometimes people take things from us that we never recover. And that's why we can hold on so tightly to our need for revenge. Brothers and sisters, you have to believe the gospel truth that even though there may be some things that are taken from you that can't be recovered this side of glory, God takes everything and he forces it for your good. And you're going to have to believe that if you're you're going to be able to slide away that need for revenge push that away from you. As we close this morning, I said that Joseph points us towards Jesus. And it's perfect that we are reading this account. We came to this spot in Genesis on this day when we are going to be sharing the Lord's Supper together. Because Joseph's story looks ahead towards another betrayal. And as Pastor Joseph pointed out this morning, an even greater one. Jesus was at Passover dinner with his disciples one night when the Bible tells us this in John chapter 13 and verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, say to you one of you will betray me. And you think about the difficulty of the surprise moment when you realize you've been betrayed. You think about Christ carrying the burden of betrayal knowing it's coming. And Judas, the one Jesus was referring to in that moment, betrayed Jesus in the most personal way. Mark chapter 14 and verse 43 says this, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. I mean, that's brutal. But what does Jesus do with that betrayal? He does not devote the rest of his life to revenge. Instead, he uses his betrayal for our good.
he goes to the cross and gives his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And when you think about it, every time we share the Lord's Supper together, we are commemorating a betrayal. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when we share the Lord's Supper together, we are remembering many things about Christ's work. But I want you, and I like to point out when we share the supper together, I like to point out something in particular that I want us to think about. And so this morning as we share the supper together, I want you to remember, as you take the bread in your hand and the cup in your hand, we are remembering that our Lord was betrayed with a kiss. that he used that moment of betrayal not to exact his revenge, but to go to the cross so that all of us who have betrayed him in word and thought and deed through our sin again and again and again could not receive his wrath, but receive good after good.